I want to tell you that today's message, in my opinion, is the crescendo. It is the very essence of why. Would you turn with me to, to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter. The first six verses we saw four times they shouted with all joy, hallelujah. In other words, praise you Yahweh. The, the song that, that, that uh, August and, and the group chose to sing, uh, shout to the Lord, praise you, praise you Lord, praise you Lord. This is what is going on in heaven itself because the people there understand what is about to take place. What is about to take place is the most unique of all, of all things that can happen within, within all of faith, within all of religion, whatever you might call it. The God of this universe, in the person of Jesus Christ, has chosen you and me to marry. That is amazing. That is amazing statement. The the most important event in the life of a believer, we are now at, at the 19th chapter, starting with verses 7 through 10. It is the very climax of what has taken place. True, we've been through some horrendous moments in the book of Revelation. There have been three sets of judgment. There has been the bowl judgment. There has been the trumpet judgment. There has been the seal judgments. 21 judgments that fell on the earth and were devastating to the earth. And yet in the midst of all of that, people who have chosen to give their hearts, their lives, their faith to Jesus Christ are in heaven itself shouting hallelujah. The marriage supper of the Lamb is about to take place. There are two structures that God saw or deemed fit to put in place during this time that we live in. The age of the church. The church age. He is brought in to structure the church. That started way back a couple of thousand years ago at the day of Pentecost. When Peter preached his message and a, a, a few thousand people came to Christ and they established the church then and there. The second thing that God brought into structure was marriage. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, he talks about marriage as a mystery. Those in the Old Testament did not understand the whole idea of marriage. God said that it is a mystery where Christ would be united to the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, in the 25th verse, the Lord says this to all of us who are married. He addresses us as husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wives. How? He goes on to say, like Jesus Christ loves the church and gave his life up for her. And so the very essence of, of, of what we are going to experience in this place in Scripture is the, is the very thrill, the privilege of God the Son marrying us believers and uniting himself with us. And what, what the Bible says about marriage, well, God, he says, I hate divorce. He says what God has brought together, let no one separate. He now has assured that you and me that we will be with him forever and ever and ever. We are his bride. And he loves us. So much so that he, he gave his life for us. You know, 
as you and I roll through eternity, those things are going to be more and more real to us. More and more will we see the things that we studied were, were not just words, they're not just thoughts and ideas. They're, they're the very essence of our eternal being that the Lord Jesus Christ so loves us that, he, that, that the Father gave His only begotten Son that eh, whoever of us believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And so to prove His love for us, God chooses to use marriage to, to bring together this union of a believer with the Son. It's so, so beautiful. Let us read these four verses, verses 7 through 10 in Revelation chapter 19. Let me just, let me just throw in the last part of verse 6, just because it's a, a wonderful hallelujah. It says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then He said to me, These are true words of God. John writes, I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In that verse, verse 10, is, is really monumental. It, 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 it needs some explaining. The testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy... It's the very essence of the deity of Jesus Christ. And I will try with all of my heart to assure you of who He is and assure you of who you are in Christ Jesus. And for those of you here who are investigating and wondering what it is to be a Christian, what's this all about? What is the hoopla? I pray that today will touch your heart. I pray that the Lord will really minister to your, that your, your quest for wondering about this thing called Christianity, that, that perhaps the Lord would answer your, your query tonight, today, I should say. Let's pray that might happen. Father, I don't know if someone here that, that doesn't know you yet wants to make that big of a prayer. But Father, I can certainly pray it on their behalf and, and ask that you might touch each heart here. All of us, those of us who know you, maybe they, maybe some of us have an existence like Dan did, like he was just a nominal believer. He, he didn't even know why and all he believed. He, he had to be around people of like, and, and they were the ones that, that led him to a deeper walk with you. Maybe that'll happen to some of us here. Maybe we're just questioning why we believe as we do. Others of us, Father, believe, and, and I pray that you will touch us in such a fashion that we will be never the same, that, that our quest to be, uh, as, as Paul wrote, that, that he would be jealous for us, and, and I would be the same, jealous for the people here that, 
that he betrothed us to one husband, that is to Jesus Christ, so that he might present us to him a pure virgin. May we live our lives in such a fashion that, Father, when we come before that, that day of the marriage supper, that we would be like a pure virgin before you, just in love with you and you only. And so, Lord, bless us, please. Move me out of the way so that this really would be a relevant message to everyone here. Uh, let me not get in your way of how you want to speak to each of us individually. I pray that you will bless this time. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. Um, thank you, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. The most amazing of events we've just read, the most amazing of promises is being realized. We, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, are going to become wedded to the Lamb of God. And so these extended shouts of hallelujah, they move from the first six verses into verse 7, where we, we read from heaven itself, it says, Let us rejoice, they say. Let us be glad, they say. Let us give the glory to Him, they say. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. What does that mean? How, how have you and I, if you have, how have we made ourselves ready? Well, let me just say this. The excitement of heaven overflows with these words from verses 1 to verse 7. Now, interestingly, the Bible speaks of our eternal commitment to Jesus Christ, and more importantly, His eternal commitment to those of us who have trusted and believed in Him is, is founded, is established in the term of marriage. A contract, if you will, that binds His love to us and our love to Him. Marriage was, at that time and still is, I believe, the single greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. It consisted of normally three very distinct stages in those days. First stage was the betrothal. It was the engagement period. It was normally an arrangement made by parents. One child, another child, they brought themselves together and they vowed that the two of these kids would marry one another. It was called a betrothal. There was a, a time where it was legally binding and there was normally a, uh, a payment that was made, a dowry was given. And this was so legally binding that it could only be broken through a divorce. Which brings us, maybe makes more sense, when, 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 we, when we study at Christmas time the birth of Jesus Christ, and it says in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. In other words, they were in that moment of engagement. Before, it says, they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. It says in the 19th verse, Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace Mary, knowing he's, the baby wasn't his, planned to send her away secretly. In other words, he planned to 
secretly, privately divorce her so as not to embarrass her for having this sex outside of their marriage or their betrothal vows. The second stage is during the, this engagement period, this betrothal period, there was, there was a second stage that was called normally the time of, of festivals. It, it could last up to a week, even longer, depending upon the financial structure and the economic uh, structure of the, of the bride, the groom, and, and their parents. If they had a lot of money, the party could go on for quite some time. At the end of these festivities, the groom would then go to the bride's home and would take her to the final ceremony. That was the most important event. That was the actual marriage ceremony itself, which was always accompanied by an elaborate meal. If you recall, the first miracle that our Lord did was turn water into what? Wine. And he did that at what? At a wedding. It was a festival. They were enjoying themselves, eating, drinking, having a, a wonderful time, dancing, I'm sure, just enjoying the festivity of these two people getting married. And, and they were running out of wine. And, and so the, the Lord's mother said, Son, help them. And so it was a, a time of an elaborate meal if the, if the people could afford it. Now, Scripture uses this very familiar imagery of a wedding to picture our Lord's relationship with us, the church. That's why the words of Paul become even more relevant when you listen to what he said. When he said to the church in 2 Corinthians, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, he said. Because, he says, I have betrothed, I have engaged you to one husband, that is, Christ, so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. So it's, a, it's a thought for you and me to, to consider how do we want to present ourselves to the Lord when we stand before him at the marriage supper as, uh, as his bride, so to speak. That's why it's good for you to memorize and get to know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the more you understand who you are as a believer, the more you understand you need 1 John 1, 9 because all of us sin and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so 1 John 1.9 allows us to remain a pure virgin even when we sin. And by the way, I love Dr. McGee because Dr. McGee, as he writes, when he got older, realized how much more wretched he became as a, as a believer. How much more he said he needed a Savior. Because all of a sudden it wasn't those great big sins that that kept him away from, the, from his walk with Christ, he kind of got rid of some of most of those. It was now those little things that, that convicted him that he was a sinner and needed a Savior so desperately. 1 John 1.9, confess our sins. He'll be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Paul says, I betrothed you to one husband, 
Right now, we are basically in this engagement period, this betrothal. Marriage was the comparison of the church to Jesus Christ, believers to Jesus Christ, and Him to us. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, I think it is, it's why it says that the whole idea of marriage was the mystery of, of showing Christ and the church bonded together. That's why when, when, when he says husbands, in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and sacrifice, gave himself up for us. The imagery of an ancient wedding is seen through both the rapture of the church and the tribulation. Let me show you how. When the bridegroom, when Jesus Christ comes and takes the church to his father's house, that is called the rapture. We have been raptured and the Lord takes the the, the bride, the church, to be with his father, to his father's house. Then during the tribulation period, those seven years we are in heaven, we will be presented to the Father. And then at the end of those seven years is where we are now, in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation, where the time will come that there will be a wedding feast like none other. We will be at the supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb, chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. And during this time, it says the heavenly choir, everyone shouts hallelujah. Praise you, Yahweh. We see the 24 elders, the church, along with four living creatures, the angels, and all the rest, great and small, it said. We all participated in shouting out hallelujah. Everyone, everyone in verse 7 is encouraged to rejoice and to be glad and note It says in verse 7, we are to give glory to Him because the marriage of the Lamb has come. In verse 7, if you'll note, it says, Rejoice and be glad. Give glory to Him because the bride has made herself ready. You see, in reality, the work of getting the bride ready is all the responsibility of the groom. Therefore, we, we and We are to praise Jesus and He alone, and He deserves all the glory. You see, it's a very difficult concept for for many to understand, but it is impossible for you and me to stand before Jesus Christ on our own righteousness. We have none on our own self. We are, we're sinners. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. All the righteousness that you and I have is because Christ gave it to us when he went to the cross, died for us, gave us his righteousness. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, May be found in him, talking in Jesus, not having a righteousness, Paul writes, of my own, which is derived from the law. In other words, I can't be good enough to get this righteousness. No, this righteousness is that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And so you see, by faith, you and I can trust 
in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but also He will give us His righteousness. And so we are to rejoice and be glad. We're to give glory to Him because we have made ourselves ready, not by our own doing. For by grace, you and I have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It isn't a result of work so that none of us may what? Boast. We can't. We can't. We can't stand up and say, well, I'm in heaven. I don't know about them, but I'm in heaven because I did good. No, none of us are going to be able to boast. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so it says in verse 8, because of his righteousness that has been given to us, we can wear fine linen, bright and clean, which means really pure. We have become pure. That is the righteous act of the saints. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we recognize how we got these garments that are, are bright and clean, pure how we have this fine linen, this white robe that we wear. Someone asks John a question, uh, and it's just weird. It's one of these weird places in Scripture that I find kind of interesting. It says, One of the elders answered John, saying, Who are these who are clothed in white robes? Who are they and where have they come from? John says, You know. I don't. And then he says, "Yeah, Yeah, that's right, I do. He says, they're the ones that come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they have made them white, pure. They have made them white in the blood of the Lamb, same way you and I have. We have our righteousness. We are pure. We are holy and blameless before God because not of ourselves, but because of what he did on the cross. Therefore, as verse 7 says, we're to give glory to him because he makes us ready to be a bride you understand don't you that without the cross without the shedding of blood there can be no marriage and so all of a sudden the cross becomes even more important it's more important than just salvation although salvation is everything But it is important because we also not only have salvation, but we get His righteousness. You see, without the the cross, without the shedding of blood, there can be no marriage and there can be no forgiveness of sin. And you and I have no righteousness in and of ourselves. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 goes on to tell us that the wages of our sin is what? Do you know? It's death. Eternal death. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, folks, if you don't know Jesus Christ, please don't put it off. Please don't. For those of us who do, listen on. I want you and me to walk out of here as close as we can, as pure virgins as possible. Note the similarities between the Jewish wedding and our relationship with Jesus Christ. The betrothal period. It's when two families give a contract. They they are bound by a payment. Jesus Christ, God the Father, gave His Son. 
His only begotten Son, that whosoever of us believe in Him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. He paid the price for our salvation. He paid the price for you to me to be a part of the church, believers. Then after that, the bridegroom would come and take his bride home to be with him. And what our Lord did was he raptures the church, as I believe he does. Now, I don't believe we're going to go through the tribulation, but again, who knows? Only God. But he raptures the church and takes the church home to be with him in heaven and introduces us to his Father. And then where we are now, the wedding feasts, the celebration of our marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. I mean, I can't wait for that meal. I mean, I, you know, I'm going to burp. Oh, my, I'm going to eat so much. I just can't wait. And I, what I can't wait for also is to take a look at your faces. I want to look around. I want to see the joy in our hearts as we, as we see what is about to take place in our eternal lives right there and then in heaven itself. My gosh. And so you see, our Lord uses marriage as a commitment. A commitment of His relationship with those of us who believe in Him. And so it says in verse 8, it was given to the bride to clothe herself in righteousness. But it is the Lord who who gives us our righteousness. You see, Jesus Christ signed the wedding contract in blood. His blood. He paid the dowry, the contract, for your soul. He did that at the cross. And it is there, once you come to trust and believe in Him, that He gives you your fine linen, your robe that is white and pure, your righteousness, and you get that by faith. So John is told right in verse 9, Blessed are those who are invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb. And then John writes, These are true words of God. The truth of God. When Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, you don't come to the Father unless you come through me. Those are strong words of truth. By the way, if you put up on the screen for me, please, There are seven blessings. This is the fourth of the seven blessings that are found in the book of Revelation. I've told you about this before. If you want to write them down and look at them, you may. It's in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 15, where we are right now today, chapter 19, verse 9, chapter 20, verse 6, and then chapter 22, verses 7 and 14. Blessings that you and I receive because of who we are and who He is. More importantly, who He is. And so John, in his joy and in his excitement over this great news of this marriage supper, falls at the feet of an angel. And the angel immediately rebukes John in verse 10, 10 saying, Don't do that, John. Uh, no, just you worship God. You hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. You hold to the spirit of prophecy. What's the testimony of Jesus Christ Well, Jesus said and proved that he is God in human flesh. People, the deity of Jesus Christ is undeniable. You have to have an agenda to miss what Jesus Christ said concerning himself. There is absolutely 
no way that you can go through and study the Bible and not see that Jesus Christ is God of very God. It's impossible. He is undeniably, indisputably, the fact that, that we have been taught by the Word of God that He is God of very God. Now, there are all kinds of places we could turn to. I want to ask you to, you can close up the book of Revelation right now. We will come back to the chapter 19, verse 11 next week. But would you turn with me to the second book of the gospel, Matthew and then Mark. Mark chapter 2. Would you please turn to Mark chapter 2. This is where we'll close. It's a very fascinating story. I want to choose just this one incident amongst so many more to prove that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. I think you'll remember this incident as soon as we start to read it. It is mentioned in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is where Jesus heals this guy who is paralyzed, and his friends bring him to Jesus. What has happened is Jesus came back to his home in Capernaum, and he's there, and he's starting to preach, teach people. And the place is so crowded, you can't get in the, the place. These four guys bring it. Well, let me read it to you. Let's read it. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was here that he was home. And verse 2 says, Many gathered together so that there was no longer room, even near the door. You couldn't get close to the place. He was speaking the word to them. Now there comes these four guys. Verse 3. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by these four men. They are unable to get near the front door. So what they do is they get up on the roof and they remove the roof. See verse 4. Being unable to get into him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. That's fun. I think that's cool. They removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let this guy down. This guy is laying on a pallet. He's on his bed. He can't move. They're lowering him right in front of where Jesus Christ is speaking. You can imagine what Jesus said. Well, look at this. Look at the faith of these guys. They think I'm going to heal their friend, I guess. It says when they dug, at the end of verse 4, they dug in on opening, they led him on a paralytic where he was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, in verse 5, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I personally think he did that to irk those that were there. Those that were there trying to catch him to say something wrong, something that would disrupt or, or that they can accuse him of. And boom, he says it. Simply says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes, verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there and they reasoned in their hearts, Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Bingo. They have just answered their own dilemma. I believe this is exactly why Jesus Christ said, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, above and beyond that, he's reading their minds. That doesn't make you kind of worried. I don't know what should. He knows what you and I are thinking. Reading their minds. 
It says, Jesus aware in verse 8, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? What is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your pallet and walk. Which is easier? But in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to to forgive sins, in other words, so that you'll know what you've reasoned in your heart. Who can forgive sins but God alone so that you know that the Son of Man is God? I say your sins are forgiven. And so then Jesus said to him in verse 11, Rise, take up your pallet, and go on home. To which he rose and immediately, in verse 12, took up his pallet and went out of sight of everyone there. And they were amazed. The people there were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. I should say not. They had the privilege of seeing God right in front of their faces. They said what they said only to add to their dilemma. They confirmed by what they thought, saying that he blasphemes. Only God can forgive sin. They were making claim that that Jesus Christ was exactly who he says he is, God, a very God. The question is, what does that statement mean to you? What does it mean to you and me? I mean, are those just words, or is he really, truly God, a very God? Is he really and truly your Savior? Is he really and truly the one who is going to take you home to be with him and have a a wedding with you as his bride, and he will commit himself to you forever and ever. I don't know of anything in Scripture that speaks more deeply to, to, to the assurance of your salvation than this place in chapter 19. That he commits himself to be your husband, and he will love you throughout eternity. That's why I beg of us today, I've begged in every service, let's be like pure virgins. Let's live our lives in such a fashion that that, that when he comes to, to take us and rapture us to be home with him in heaven, that we can be, as Paul says, I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you and me. We have been betrothed to one husband We are now in this engagement period. He says, I've betrothed you to one husband, to Jesus Christ, so that I might present you to him as a pure virgin. That's the way I want us to live our lives. That's why when you understand Scripture, when you understand who we are, we must know and understand 1 John 1.9. We've got to be a people who understand that when we do sin, not if, but when you and I sin, we confess our sins so that He can be faithful and He can be just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us so that we can stand before Him again of, pure virgin because he says he takes your sin and my sin and he separates it from us as far as the east is from the west and then he gives you this promise and I'll remember it what? No more. You're a pure virgin as far as I'm concerned he says. 
I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for me with a godly jealousy. You and I have been betrothed to one husband, that is to Christ, so that by the grace of God Almighty we might present ourselves to him a pure virgin. And I hope you get it. Hope you get what our Lord is saying to us today in this place in Scripture. I wish I could teach it every week. I, don't, I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. If I could preach that message every week, you know, if I was a traveling evangelist, that's all I'd do. I'd preach this place in Scripture every week. Wouldn't have to study anymore, just preach this place. I love this place in Scripture. It's the crescendo of this whole book of the book of Revelation. It's why we've, we, it's why we've looked at all this wretched, wretched judgment, all of this stuff, so that we could get to this place and shout with the angels, Hallelujah! Our Lord, the Almighty reigns. Blessed are those of us who have been invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb. Father in heaven, thank you. I mean, there's no words. How can we say thank you enough? There's no way. Just, just understand, Father, that I hope that we comprehend everything that we just studied today in this particular place in Scripture. Let us rejoice over the fact that in the future, soon, I'm sure, very soon, we will be before you and we will see and experience this, this wedding supper. And we will see that you will commit yourself to us as a faithful husband. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than life itself. Have yourself a great day. I'll talk to you later or next week. Anyways.